Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, and um, we're going to read the passage for uh, today. This is something we just started doing since we started regathering in the summer. Um, it's, a, it's a tradition of a lot of churches uh, and it's a recognition that God's word is different than our words. It's, it's more than my words. This is the word, you know, these are the ones that, um, that weigh the most. And, uh, so let's just, let's read this together today. And at the end of that, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord and you'll, you'll express your gratitude for that. So do we have that? Maybe. Oh, there we go. All right. So we're ready. I, we don't read together very often. I don't know how to start this. I'll start. You just read along with me. Okay. They stumble. Because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, priesthood. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, thanks, Lord, for your words. May you be the one that is speaking today and not me. May we hear from you and um, not me. May what is heard be better than what is said, God. And may you impress it deeply in our souls. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do we hear? I feel like we hear... um, the excellencies of various things, various things are proclaimed as excellent to us all the time. And so what things are proclaimed as excellent to us all the time? What messages do we get all the time about this thing or this whatever is is excellent? Ooh, yeah. Money is excellent. What else? Bill and Ted's Adventure was excellent a long time ago. Yes, yes. Pardon me? Google, yeah, it's excellent. The internet. We lost the internet for a while this morning, and they called me. I'm like, I wasn't here yet. Like, well, what, what, we should cancel church, but we can't because we don't have the internet to cancel it. And so we're lucky we got it back. What did they do before the internet for church? Okay, what else do we hear declared as excellent? Oh, yeah, yeah, that there's a way to look, an image that you can have that is excellent. I, I think we are, the excellencies of all sorts of products are declared to us at all times in all ways. And if we consume this excellent product, then we will be excellent ourselves, or at least people will perceive us as excellent, and it will improve our lives. I think people's opinions about various cultural and political issues are declared as excellent to us on a routine basis and irrefutable, actually, (laughs) and we should hold those opinions um, ourselves. I think people, uh, you know, in the temptation, I'll talk about this, is to proclaim ourselves as excellent, and so people are proclaiming themselves as excellent in various ways or their own excellencies at all times. And so when I was thinking about this verse and that language of proclaiming the excellencies, of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
I thought, that's just, we don't grasp that, but we do. We do it all the time. What things do you declare as excellence? You know, if you just think about that, there was a book a couple years ago called The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. Great book. And he talked about three types of people, and I can't remember the third, but connectors and mavens and something else. And mavens were people that you find this thing, and it's, you don't find it very often, but you find this really great product, and you have to tell everybody about it. So a few weeks ago, I was a maven for Costco hot baguettes and um, and brownie mix, right? And so you were declaring the excellencies of those, and I'll do that. I'll find something good and be like, oh, man, um, you got to try this. You know, we went to the fair last night. That was not a great idea. Uh, but they have a cornbread funnel cake that they put chili on. If you're going to the fair today, find it. It's on the backside of the Dorton Arena. It was excellent. Um, you know, so we declare things. I think I declare the excellencies of my children a lot because I think they're excellent. Do we declare the excellencies of God on, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, how often are you proclaiming the excellencies of God? I think that's the challenge and the tension of um, the passage. So let me, I've kind of got four motions to this, um, this message, and here's the first one. Your greatest purpose in life is to make God's goodness known to the people around you. It is your greatest purpose. It's your highest calling. It is the thing that you will find the most satisfaction in when you do it well and be your highest fulfillment in life. And I think if you've been here, if you walked with Christ for a while, you probably know that, but it is not something that's easy to keep at the forefront of your mind. In fact, I started thinking about that. I thought that doesn't like you don't read that and it's not a motivating like, yes, that's it. You kind of like, oh, is that it? Like, because it is a lose your life to save your life proposition. <laughs> like you can't declare your own excellencies and declare God's excellencies at the same time. Like one or the other is more excellent. And sometimes when you get to declare your own excellencies, that's kind of exciting. And you can, you can understand how that's going to be. Then this one is a little bit different. And so like on a scale of one to 10, how exciting is that statement to you? How motivating is that statement to you? And I think it's like part of just the challenge of it. And why, when this verse says, proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light, doesn't, like, it's, it takes a little bit of getting there. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock and all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. So we are created in the image of of God so that when people look at us, they see an aspect of God. They, when they understand us, they understand part of God. And then he said, he blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. So we are called to, to multiply and fill the earth in part so that we can fill the earth with the image of God because we're the only thing that carries the image of God and God wants his image and his goodness to go uh, everywhere. And in that passage, we are the only thing in his creation that is made in his image. And so we're the only thing that gets this call. We're different from everything else on the planet. I went to, um, I went to, uh, to youth group on Sunday night. And I told the leaders uh, of our youth group, uh, over years, I've told them, like, hey, anytime, I, I would love to be able to come in and you ask the students, if they have any questions that they want to ask me, just as the pastor of the church, 
Um, not because I have the answers to all the questions, because I most certainly do not, but because I've, I've met so many people over the years that were raised in church and felt like they got to a point where they had questions, but they couldn't ask them, and their questions were, like, suppressed. I have a really good friend uh, who's my age, grew up in church, and about 11, 12, had questions about, you know, the things he was learning, and so his parents called the pastor, and the pastor said, stop asking those questions, and that was it for him. Like, he's been done with faith since then. So I came in, and I just want him to know you can ask whatever questions you want to. If you're not asking questions, you're not paying attention, because there's plenty of questions to ask. Um, it's about faith, and faith is not, then certainty are two different things, you know, and so it, it leaves the possibility of doubt that needs to be um, dealt with. So the first question was about dinosaurs. It came from my own son. This was fantastic, you know. And I said, well, that question is probably not so much about dinosaurs as it is about the age of the earth, and I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. Um, that's, a, that's a really good question. I, uh, I said, I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think there were 24-hour days in part because the sun and the moon were created on the fourth day, and so I don't think we have to believe um, that, and, you know, and so I think it could have taken as long as God wanted. God's got all the time in the world and the universe and whatever, you know, like, so he could take time if he wants to. I said, but, but um, I do, like, I don't know how long it took him, but he, but he did it. Like, he created us, and I know that the statistical probability of the miracles involved in life happening and us being here and having this conversation, the way that it's commonly explained to us now that it's just a random series of mutation, the statistical probability, and like you can read this in a lot of places now, is so minuscule that, that scientists are postulating an infinite number of parallel universes to create the amount of time and space for the chance to work because there's not enough in the 14 billion years that we think there are in our universe right now. And it's called the multiverse, if you heard of it, and there's really no evidence for it. And you, you, if I'm wrong about that, and I read a bit about this, you can fight me afterward, you know, but like, but God made it. Um, God made it and made us as a special part of it. Uh, it made us different. And, um, and so I know, like, my dog is not, is not made in the image of God. Like, it's a different deal, you know? Uh, I talked a few weeks ago about getting rid of all malice and, and um, deceit and hypocrisy and whatnot. Don't, if you want to get rid of all malice, don't get a puppy. Or at least not my puppy. Um, because that's, he's creating some malice. But, he, I mean, he's a sweet dog, but, but just with his own problems, you know? And I'm my dog does not sit around wondering what he's here for and if it's all worth it, you know? I don't catch my dog um, looking out the front window thinking, man, that sunset is beautiful. Oh, that's a miracle. Doesn't do that. We have an older dog, uh, Joe. He is not thinking, is this all I'm ever going to amount to? Like, it just doesn't, it's not a part of their Thing. My puppy threw up the other day and ate it. They're made different than us. You know what I mean? It has no problem with that. And just we're a different part of creation. Now, my dog can glorify God in some ways as part of his creation. He'll never do that consciously. We can do that consciously. My dog will never worship God. And we were, we were made to worship God. Um, this is Isaiah chapter 43. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and who I made. He created us for 
his uh, glory. This is Psalm um, 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. That's our call is to ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Paul in the New Testament says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. He is our greatest good. He's how we know that there is good in the first place because he is good. He is all-powerful. He's all just. He's how we know that there's justice. He's everywhere. And so our, we were created to express the glory of God because we're created in his image. As, uh, you know, someone who preaches most weeks, it's my privilege to attempt to point people to him and declare his excellencies every single week. And when people, you know, communicate that that's been effective, (laughs) that that they've heard and seen, like there's nothing like it. And our lives are supposed to do that constantly. It's what we're made for. Now, our primary obstacle to making God look good is our desire to make ourselves look good. This is our primary problem because those things work in competition. And I would guess that the thing we proclaim or think about how we could proclaim the excellencies of most often is ourselves. And the more I've worked on this sermon during the work, the, the more in quiet moments I've realized you really want them to feel you're excellent, you know. And I'm, it's in competition with God. And that's, um, that's right there in the beginning of the story. So God puts Adam and Eve in the garden. There's two trees. The tree of life says eat as much as you want. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says don't, don't eat from that one. Um, and that is, it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's God saying, I know how good and evil works because I'm God. You're not God. You don't know how it works. You're never going to know how it works. Um, but I'm going to give you what you need to know on, on a consistent basis because we're going to have a relationship. And so he's saying, trust me, I'm God, I'm smarter than you, and I love you. And, and Adam and Eve look at the, the tree, and they look at the fruit, and they're like, I don't know. I mean, it looks pretty good, looks pretty good, like it'd be good for me, like it tastes good. I mean, it's fruit, how bad could it be? And the adversary comes in and says, um, yeah, you know, God, the reason God doesn't want you to eat from that isn't because he loves you. It's really because he loves himself, and he wants to control you, and... Um, and he knows that when you eat of that, you're going to be like God, and you're going to know good and evil. And that temptation is the same temptation that you and I face every day. Is God smarter than me, or am I smarter than God? Does God really love me, and can I trust God with my life? It's one of the reasons that I believe that this is true, is because that's right in the beginning of the Bible, and it was written, it was recorded 3,500 years ago. I don't know how long it, ago it happened, but it was recorded. That's when it was written down 3,500 years ago. And it reads us like a book today. We think about people that lived 3,500 years ago, think their brains were the size of walnuts, and they must have been idiots. You know what I mean? We think that people that lived 150 years ago were probably pretty dim compared to us, you know? 
And, uh, but it's, it, is, it knows us. Um, and so they eat of it, and as soon as they eat of it, they realize that they violated the trust of the one who loved them the most, and then they try and make up for it because they lost touch with their true identity as ones loved by their creator and declared excellent by their creator. In that story, he says, you are very good. He's declared our excellence, and that's where our sense of our own excellence comes from. It doesn't come from within you. It doesn't come from the people around you. It can, but it comes ultimately from the one who created you and says you are excellent. Um, and instantly when they eat, they're thinking, I'm I'm st- I can't still be excellent like because they know that they violated trust and broken the relationship with the one that created them. And you see it instantly. God comes in and says, what happened? And Adam says, well, the, the woman that you gave me, she did it. And so he's like, I'm not going to take, I mean, he was right there. He was the one that was given the commandment. He could have said something. He doesn't do anything. But instead of taking responsibility, he says, well, she did it. And God, you did it because you gave me her. That was everything was fine before she was here, you know. And so he's worried about his own excellence. And so he takes the people down around them. Eve says the serpent, um, he did it. They cover themselves with fig leaves so that people won't see who they really are because they're ashamed of who they really are because they've lost their sense of their own excellence because they broke in relationship with God. And so that there's like a whole thing about fig leaf religion, um, how we present to ourselves what people want to see. It's it's social media is not the problem. Social media is a, is a, like a, the latest avenue in which we can express the problem and present one thing and be another. There's someone who um, who a couple weeks ago had a friend that took their own life around the age of 40. And he said he said to me, if you looked on social media at this guy's life, he's out in California, like a surfer life, like everything looked great, but we who knew him well knew that things weren't well, but we didn't know they were this bad. Um, we can present what we want. And, and it's right there in the beginning. Cain and Abel, the very next story, they make their offerings to God, and God says to Abel, your offering is acceptable. And he says to Cain, hey, um, this is what I need you to do to have a better offering. He d- brings the wrong offering. God doesn't smite him with his mighty smiter. You know what I mean? He doesn't strike him with lightning. He just says, hey, man, um, here's what I need you to do. And Cain just loses it. He is in a rage because he has been declared something less than excellent. And so he kills Abel and eliminates the competition so that Abel can't be more excellent than him. This is, it's just in us uh, that we feel this need to proclaim our own excellence because we've lost touch with the one that made it. I said, us, I said this last week at the end of the passage, talked about, well, the passage is about Jesus being our chief cornerstone. And I made the comment that in our culture, I feel like the cornerstone for our lives is our own feelings. And you need to be true to your own feelings. And a, and a bunch of you have mentioned that to me this week. And, and having our own feelings as our cornerstone is a way of declaring our own excellence because if you feel it, it must be accurate, and you can just base your life on whatever it is that comes out of you. That is a way of declaring our own excellency, and that's at odds with declaring the excellencies of God. All right, let me pivot for a second and ask, what are the excellencies of God that we are supposed to proclaim? What are some excellencies of God? Provision? Grace? faithfulness his goodness sovereignty his holiness pardon me 
Yeah, his love for us. Yeah, we, um, there's a lot. Uh, the, the ones that, um, th- my, my, um, the guys in my home group have been uh, reading through Mere Christianity and, um, by C.S. Lewis, and he starts that talking about w- one of the things in the first few chapters is design, like just his, as the creator, which encompasses a lot of things. Um, and so there's an excellence to that. I, uh, years ago, this is probably my favorite example of like, just crazy things about his creation, how he created us. But there is a muscle in your heart that contracts one time in your existence and then atrophies away. And so when you're, when you're in utero, when you're still in your mother's womb, your mother oxygenates your blood, right? And so when you come out, then there's got something's got to happen so that you're oxygenating your own blood. And it's this one muscle that contracts one time and goes away and it switches like so that your pulmonary artery is open. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's there. Trust me on this. You can look it up. And, it, and then it's just done. And they don't really know why it contracts at that time, pressures, something like that. And I think, how could that have randomly, like, evolved over? Like, it just there's things that just don't make sense about how things could. And it's, there's, it's miraculous. We were talking um, on Tuesday night when we were looking at this. One guy had watched some nature show about Venus flytraps and how Venus flytraps work. And it's insane how they work. And it declares, it proclaims the excellency of God. I had a friend a few years ago, she told me this, um, she was at the Genius Bar at the Apple Store, and it just ended up in a conversation with a guy about faith, and he's like, oh, I believe that God exists. She's like, why do you believe that? He said, because the trees breathe in what I breathe out, and I breathe out what the trees, no, and I breathe in what the trees, you know what I mean. And it's like, how does that happen? It's, it's miraculous. It's miraculous. I don't know how long it took, and I don't know how it happened, but it, it didn't just happen. Um, and, and so we de- design and creation declares the excellence of God, but we, we resist that. I read this story this week about a British astrophysicist named Brian Cox. And so he had a series on BBC called Planets that I swear this article said was watched by a billion people. I can't even believe that, but like lots and lots of people. So they gave him predictably another show and he's, that he's creating called Universe. And um, he said, so in this article, he says, what we've discovered, I think it's a reasonable working assumption, is that there are very few civilizations per galaxy. Now, we haven't discovered that because we know nothing about any civilizations anywhere. I think it is, like, just doing the math, you think there's got to be life out there somewhere. Like, it's, it's totally re- re- understandable how we get there. But, but the more they look into that, the more people think, no, we actually might be alone because it's insane that life exists here on this planet. And this is where this guy is going. And really his point in doing it is the whole thing in the article is because he says if, um, if we wipe out humanity through climate change or nuclear war or something, he says we might eliminate meaning from the universe, which is a crazy thought in and of itself. But so here's what he says. He's a physicist. The more I learn about biology, the more astonished I am that we exist at all. Though there are some 20 billion planets in the Milky Way, so we might expect life to be everywhere, almost every biologist I speak to says yes, but all it will be is slime at best. We live in a violent universe, and the idea you can have planets which are stable enough to have an unbroken chain of life might be quite restrictive. (laughs) Uh, And so he's doing it. You know, to communicate that if we, if we wipe out man, we'll wipe out meaning from the universe. Which you think, like, you just have to get into that and think, well, if, 
if we could wipe it out, then is it really mean meaning? And why are we have just how can we have a logical conversation if we could just disappear and then there'd be no logic in the universe? And this is a serious man being taken seriously enough to have a billion viewers of his show and getting another one that's just not even considering the fact that something else might be out there that put meaning into it. We just deny it. We resist it. One of my favorite um, books I read was a, in the last 10 years, let's say, is about a guy named Anthony Flew. He was the foremost atheistic philosopher of the 20th century. At the end of his life, he like recanted all his atheistic philosophy, and it was a, he was a nice guy. A lot of atheists now are angry, um, like the, the, the big media atheists. But this guy was just a, that's just what he thought. But then the end of his life, he didn't become a Christian, he became a theist. And the reason he did is because he looked at, it was really the multiverse. He said that they're postulating an infinite number of parallel universes that they don't have any evidence for because you need that much time and space for the chance to work out. He said it's easier just to postulate that God exists than to postulate this whole thing. And he was open to it. Um, all of that, it declares the excellency of the God beyond it that spoke it into existence. Einstein said there's two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is though everything is a miracle. And so we're constantly surrounded by these things that proclaim the excellencies of God to us. His goodness, his, uh, his justice um, declares the excellency of God. Uh, Lewis, in the beginning chapters of Mere Christianity, he starts with this, that there is a, a law of human nature that tells us there is an ought to. There are things we ought to do and things we ought not to do. The end of that chapter, he says, these are the two points I wanted to make. First, that human beings all over the earth have this curious idea that they ought to behave in a certain way and cannot really get rid of it. Secondly, that they do not, in fact, behave in that way. So they know the law of human nature and they break it. These two facts are the foundation of all clear thinking about ourselves and the universe that we live in. There is an ought to inside of us that we cannot escape and cannot explain, and that is a way of declaring the excellencies of the God um, beyond us. I read um, a definition of sin years ago that I thought was really helpful. He said there's sin is any violation of the shalom of God, that there is a way things are supposed to be, and sin is a violation of those things. And we, we feel that all the time. So uh, last week, I'll check WRIL, I'll check a news site just every, every, um, every morning. And so last Sunday, before I came in, there were two, the beginnings of two horrific stories. One was on 540 out by Nightdale a, um, at 2.30 in the morning. Some officers were on the scene of an accident and a car, Mercedes, just slammed into the whole thing, um, going God knows how many miles per hour, and killed one of the officers. He was 23, you see the story? 23 years old, um, grew up out there. His dad was the Zebulon police chief, went to the Army, came out, three months on the job with his training officer, and, um, and lost his life. And, and quickly, the story said, then, you know, they didn't have the, reports back yet but that they they suspect that alcohol was a factor which you instantly think and and all week long I've been paying attention to that story the funeral was Friday and and uh, and just like this how can this happen there's no like oh well everyone's gonna die it's that's not how it works 
Like, where is justice? You think, what should happen to the person who did this? And why? And what should happen to them? You want, like, we just long for that, for justice. And that's the image of God in us, you know? And then you think, well, could I, could anybody, you know, distracted driving more than drunk driving? Like, how many distracted drivers? Let's close our eyes and raise your hand. How many people have gone distracted now and again? You know what I mean? Like, it could be any of us to do something stupid like that. And so what is justice in the situation? And that is an, that proclaims the excellency of God in a way. The other, the other story was, and some of you passed the accident on the way in last Sunday, was five teenagers were driving down Capitol um, too fast at 6 o'clock in the morning, ran into a bridge, and they're all gone. And, and it just all around that, no matter what or how or why it happened, like, it's just tragic. And the idea that it's tragic speaks to the goodness of God that he's laid into us. And man, that is an excellency of God in us. Um, Other, like the God's wisdom that he gives us declares an excellency for God. The, the, The word of God and what it gives us about like how to parent our children is an excellency of God about how to think about your marriage in such a way that you can keep it growing and that you can understand who each other are and why you've got the problems you do and forgive each other because he's he's given us every reason to forgive each other and demanded it of us and that's how you keep any type of relationship going that declares the greatness of god like understanding i put in the weekly i always put this little thing like just something that caught my eye this week and it was a 20 minute q a about work and theology and why work matters and i'd encourage you to go back and listen to that it's great short reminder of things that I have preached before and I will preach again about why your work matters and that that's excellent that God gives us you know a way to frame up the things in our lives joy declares the excellency of God that uh, there are times when we can just experience joy to a point that it brings tears to our eyes and like overwhelms us and that is an excellency of God wonder that we can look at a sunset and think that is a miracle or the leaves changing around us now Uh, declares the excellency of God, the hope that he gives us, the perspective that we can take on life. All these things proclaim the excellency of God Um, and your salvation. The idea of salvation declares the excellency of God as much as, if not more than anything in in the key. So this passage again, uh, they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Even the stumble, this is coming off the passage about the cornerstone, and the the cornerstone is talked about as a rock of offense and that people are going to stumble over it, but you can't avoid it. And I don't think I'm going to make this point well, but Lewis has great stuff about in just these first few chapters, and he's so concise about it about how the universe is a beautiful place and it's designed magnificently, but it is a hard place. The universe by itself is an unforgiving place because the laws of nature are just nature. Like I said, nature in itself is unforgiving. My dog threw up and ate it. Like he doesn't care about that stuff, you know? And we personalize the animals. I, years ago, I thought about how, how cute all my, um, all my kids, the movies they watch, like Kung Fu Panda, you know, it's cute. That thing will eat you. Panda bears will eat you. It's one of my favorite things. What doesn't kill you only makes you stronger, except bears. Bears will kill you because they'll kill you. Uh, You know, it is a hard, unforgiving, 
place. The law, uh, good and bad, doesn't care like how much you wanted to do good. The consequences are still going to be there because it's just the way that it is. And God's mercy to us in the midst of all that is key to proclaiming his excellencies. You are a chosen race. You're not a choice race. You're a chosen race. And there's two, those are two different things. He didn't choose you because you were so excellent. Uh, he chose you because he loves you. You know, it, this is quoted from Old Testament, an Old Testament passage where he's talking to Israel. You're a people holy to the Lord, for God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. And he didn't do that because you were so great or you, you had so many numbers. He did that because you were the least and he could show his glory through you and bless the rest of the world through you because people would look at you and think there's no way they could get all that done because it's God's glory comes through you. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Uh, anybody watch The Crown? Um, yeah, I mean, that show's won so many Emmys or whatever. And I, I love it. I'm kind of obsessed with the, cr- with the Crown and British royalty and stuff like that. But it's like a conflicting thing. Like, there's something really appealing about it, but at the same time, like, What's the deal? Like, these people did nothing to be royal, but they're royal. You know what I mean? And, like, some of them, they want not to be royal anymore, but they can't. So Harry and Meghan are, like, ostracized, but they're still royal. And who's the creepy one that hung out with Jeffrey Epstein? Andrew? Right. Like, we know that. He's a creep. They're like, man, I wish we could make him not royal. But he's still royal because there's nothing you can do to make yourself royal or unroyal. And that's what he's saying. You're not royal because you did anything. You're royal because you're sons and daughters of the king. Who has adopted you into your his family? He's had mercy on you. Uh, you are his prized possession. He treasures you. He treasures you. Another place that Jesus says he has the hairs on your head numbered. That's as much as you want to meditate on that, you can't get your head around it. That's a lot of hairs. There's a lot of people, um, and and he knows about every little bit of it because you're his treasured possessor. He's called you out of his darkness into his marvelous light. I was talking to someone this week, newer to the church, but has been a friend for a few years, and um, and he was just talking about, this is years ago, a lady that was like chasing him down, trying to proclaim the excellencies of, of God. And he talked about he and his wife being belt at Belks and Crabtree once and seeing her, he's like, hey, you gotta go before she sees this because she's gonna wanna tell me about Jesus. And, uh, and it worked eventually. But he said, his comment was, when, when she got to know me, like it's like she knew the darkness inside of me. And she wanted to speak the light of Jesus um, in, into that. And you have to, that's how you have to understand what has happened. Right? That he has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That is one of his metaphors for your salvation and the mercy of God to you. You will not declare his excellencies properly until you have that straight. We were fools stumbling around like blind men in the dark, gorging ourselves on the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking if I eat just a little bit more, then I can get it. Creating havoc. And he rescued us. He rescued us. I thought about that Nightdale police officer and then the person that slammed into them. And I thought, we're all slamming into each other relationally and emotionally, like on a daily basis, right? 
we're all kind of like drunk living and bumping into each other and creating various levels of damage. And I thought some, some days it's probably bumper cars. You know, you bump in, make, oh, sorry, buddy. Uh, some days it's like demolition derby. I think with your family, your house is probably one big demolition derby because people know it's coming, so they suit up. They got a helmet on. They got some protective gear because they know what you're going to do and they know how to come back at you, you know. And then some days it's just tragic. And we are driving around emotionally out of control, um, doing all sorts of damage. Uh, you will agree with God that your sin is this massive problem that needs to be dealt with in the way that he has ordained to deal with it through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Or you will carry that sin with you into hell and he will leave you alone there with it. Hell is where we get what we want. Um, one pastor, maybe it's a Lewis quote, I don't know. He said, there's two types of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, thy will be done. Uh, and like another pastor, what do you want? What do you want? Him to forgive you and promise to make you better? He's, that's what this whole thing is about. He's done that. But the way he's done that requires the humility of coming before him and expressing how much you need him. Um, And that's hard for us because it offends our own sense or our sense of our own excellence for him, our our own excellence. Uh, And so if you don't, if you don't understand this, your need for and his provision of your salvation, you'll never properly declare how excellent he is. Uh, but when you do get that, and you grow in your understanding of his excellence, you won't need to declare your own excellencies the same way, because that relationship is restored, and you, you can hear him say, um, you are very good, not because of what you've done, but w- because of what Christ has done on your behalf. So last thing, and this g- I'll go through this really quickly, how do we proclaim God's excellencies? And how do we do it individually and collectively? This is a framework that we started using a few years ago, that there's gospel demonstration. And so your life is supposed to be a demonstration of the excellencies of God through the gospel. The fruits of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's a shortage of those things in our world today. And so if the spirit fills us and creates those things in us, that's declaring the excellence of God. A healthy marriage and a healthy family with the gospel at the center of it declares the excellency of God. Treating your coworkers with respect and not as a means to an end declares the excellencies of God. Seeing your job as a way to love and serve your neighbor instead of yourself can declare God's excellencies. Not needing to constantly proclaim your own excellencies can be a way of proclaiming the excellency of God. Loving your neighbor as yourself, your generosity, your gratitude. You know, taking responsibility for your bumper car life and asking for people for forgiveness is a way of declaring the excellency of God just by the way you live. And that naturally moves into gospel conversation, whereas you get to know people and just love them, and you talk about the deeper things of life. You can't talk about the deeper things of life without talking about the gospel because the gospel has shaped the way you view the deeper things in your life. Uh, and that, you know, is like cracking the atmosphere and getting into orbit or you're out of it, and you can then you start to have the chance to really explain 
you know, why you believe the things that you do about the way you live because of what Jesus has done for you and invite people into it and say, Jesus is for you. He's for you. He's not just for me. He's not just for us. He's for you. Uh, and taste and see that the Lord is good. And, and so the individually we do that, but together we do that. The word for proclaim in the passage actually is a word that's only used there and has a, as a, like an insinuation that it's something that the church does together is proclaims the excellence of God. And so last, um, last Saturday night, uh, we had a, like a, a meat fest at John Pritchett's house and we smoked, we had cow, we had cows and pigs and deer that we were eating. Uh, it was excellent. And, um, and John's neighbor came over, um, in the middle of the night and, and I don't, and I just don't get the impression that he spent been a lot of time with the church ever. And John said he hung out to like midnight and towards the end, he's like, man, this is just a great group of guys. And so just being together and hanging out and like being normal people and caring for each other declares the excellencies of God. The bar's really low for the church right now, you know, <laughs> uh, because people just don't have a great impression. <laughs> and um, but that's I was so excited about that because that's the body of Christ. And I've said that the best advertisement for the church is the church. And Sunday mornings, honestly, we come here. Worship feels good because it's what you're made to do to proclaim the excellencies of God. And so do it well and do it with passion and do it loud, you know. Um, but it declares when people enter into that, it declares the excellencies of God. It's your home group. It's, you know, Tuesday night sitting around a fire talking about, talking about Jesus. Um, it's serving each other. It's serving our neighbors together. It's standing firm for what's right without having to be right. Like, honestly, it's kind of complicated, but it's not hard. Uh, and and that, you know, just as a church, mom momentum will happen for us as a church coming out of COVID when we're, when we're cognizant of this purpose, uh, when we're practicing it on our own, and when we're thinking, man, the people around me that don't know Jesus would be better for spending some time with this group. And there's, you know, you do this on your own, but then you do it together because there's just power in the body of Christ. And and the church. Um, I'm going to, one last thing, and, and the band can come back up and get ready for a few more songs. The last part of this verse is, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is fantastic. It's from the Old Testament book of Hosea. Hosea is one of the craziest books in the Bible. God has a prophet named Hosea, and he says, um, he says, I want you to, or, or a prophet, he, he says, I want you to marry a prostitute. She's going to be unfaithful to you. And, and in that, you're going to understand what it's like for me to be God and to be married to the people of Israel. It's like, you want to know what my life is like? So marry a prostitute. She's going to be unfaithful to you. It's crazy. And they have a couple kids. And the first, the first one is named, it's like Lo Am I or something in Hebrew, but it's not my people. His name is kid, not my people. And the second one is named No Mercy. And so he's saying, you're not, it's just, it's a crazy book. And he ends up saying, like, I'm going to woo them back. And there's a day when they will be my people again. And they will receive my mercy. But it's like, not yet, but someday is where he leaves the book. And so Peter is saying to the church, now's the day. Uh, once you were not my people, but now you are my people because of what Christ has done for us. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The day is, is now. You are his prized possession.
Man, this week working on this sermon, I did catch myself thinking in quiet moments um, how badly I wanted to proclaim my own excellence, how concerned I was that the people around me saw me as uh, excellent. In my sermon prep every week, I guarantee you, I want you to think that I'm excellent and not just like surfing the internet all week. You know what I mean? Like, I realize that there, there are times with friends of mine that I don't think are following Jesus that I'm hesitant to proclaim the excellencies of God because I think they might think I'm a little bit less excellent because I think God is so excellent. I see the competition, like, happening. And it is, A, probably the prime obstacle in something to be repented of. And the antidote isn't to feel guilty about it. The antidote um, is to realize, again, what he's done for us um, and that he's done that in Christ because he loves us. Because he loves us and he's made us and he desires us and he treasures us. And until we understand that this is the most important thing about us, we're just not going to live the way that we're made to live. And so if you haven't received that, what he's done for you, but you sense him like working in you and wooing you to come to him, then surrender to him. Accept your need for him. Accept what he's done for you and invite him to have your life surrendered. Uh, and, and if you have done that, man, let it sink deeper. And so we're going to, we have communion cups on your seats, and um, this is a way of proclaiming the excellency of God and his mercy is by taking communion and invite you to take the top off of that. Um, and Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, for so this wafer for us is a reminder of the body of Christ that has been broken for us because of the love that God has for us. And so we eat this in remembrance of him. Um, and this juice is a, um, we, we do this remembering the blood of Christ that has been shed for us because of his great love for us. Father, we thank you that you are excellent that you are excellent beyond our wildest imaginations, that there is a day that we can stand face to face with you and just be overwhelmed by the excellence of God. We thank you that you have revealed your excellence to us in different ways, God, and that you have made us to communicate that excellence to the people around us. I pray that your spirit would um would convict us where we need to be convicted would challenge us god that you would help us to see opportunities today this afternoon this week uh to to live out the calling that you've created us for and we love you and pray this in jesus name amen